from west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. Connecting with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hello and welcome to episode triple one, 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 one of the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian, Michael Bowling. I am joined by my co-host, producer, and good friend, Craig Williams. Craig, how are you today? I'm not doing too bad. How are you, Michael? Oh, I'm fine. Thank you. Somehow I feel like 111, this should be magical, or, or, or I don't know. There's, there should be something special about this episode i mean <laughs> triple ones i think we should just step back and say anytime we're lucky enough to uh get to get to listen to you share your stories then that's yeah. special enough oh <laughs> you're very kind <laughs> do you want something <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes a special episode for one 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 that's what I'd like. All righty. Carolwood Society's um, 2019 Unmeeting, we mentioned it last week. That is at the AMC Theater, the Disney Springs 24 Theater, Walt Disney World Resort, on Friday, September 27th, 2019. This year, they are hosting Tony Baxter. He is going to be um, talking about his work on Big Thunder Mountain Railroads at Disneyland, Walt Disney World, and Disneyland Paris. So uh, we'll have a link in our show notes. We have them in last week's show as well, where you can get your tickets. The tickets are very reasonably priced. Uh, This Tony Baxter is so entertaining and so funny. I've heard him speak several times, and it, it, it you this is a not to be missed opportunity if you're out and about at the Walt Disney World Resort. Yeah, love love so. love hearing Tony speak anytime he can. So it's yeah always always entertaining, and I feel like from the first time I've I've seen him speak to to now, you know, it's been a couple of years, and it and it seems like every time. Uh, I hear him. He gets a little snarkier and snarkier, which is always appreciated. I know. I I love that. Yeah. I love that about him. And you know what I've noticed about folks who retire from Disney? The farther they get away from their retirement, the snarkier they get. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and the more they talk about where the bodies are buried. Yeah. If you, yeah. If you know what I mean. So, so that's why it's a lot of fun. I mean, even Marty Scalar, even though he definitely walked the party line, he he started to tell the inside stories, you know, as time went on. It's he was fun. great. So, <laughs> so um, anyway, and finally, well, Craig, you talked about the last time we did the Turner Classic Movies Treasures from the Disney Vault. You did talk about when they were coming up next, and that's Monday, September 2nd. Yeah. And they they've released their lineup. So, yeah, they, I don't know. If, do, do you want to run through that? Let folks know what they can look forward to. Yeah, absolutely. So on um, Monday, September second, you'll be able to watch uh, Fun and Fancy Free, uh, Donald's Tire Trouble, The Love Bug, The Happiest Millionaire, The Art of Skiing, uh, Snowball Express, 
the hockey champ and the misadventures of merlin jones so uh some some very well-known ones in there and uh some that are are going to be new to me and probably a little bit other people out there but yeah it's it, it's looking like it's going to be a, a fun night overall so i think they it, might have done yeah. the happiest millionaire before but um maybe even fun and fancy free but i, I don't when know I, when, I, you know, yeah. when i was up in um for the pacific northwest mouse meet um some friends took me to an auction um house where they uh you, you know and, and they usually have a lot of disney items there and they did and i bought a, a used vinyl of the soundtrack of the happiest millionaire oh nice and and it was in very very good shape and i didn't have that soundtrack so so it was it was oh. fun but now be, because we are so busy because we we pretty much are scheduled out for the next six weeks or so plus we have the d23 expo hitting us we're not going to be able to do our our traditional shows before yeah. the, the the treasures on the disney vault there's just not enough days in the month however we thought that even if you watch those you know we still want to share uh you know some stories about these shows so we're going to try something a little different we are actually going to do post shows um so we're gonna we will still tell you the 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 stories behind the films um about these but it will be after they air so um so so we hope uh, so we hope that you can hold off or maybe what you want to do is record all of these or you probably have some of these in your collection already and then and listen to us and then watch them all yep (laughs) anyway it's gonna be it's gonna be new but uh it's still still gonna be fun so Mm-hmm. So, okay. Well, as you know from last week's episode, I recently attended the 11th annual Pacific Northwest Mouse Meet in Linwood, Washington. And this is an annual event where Disney fans, <laughs> fans from all over the country uh, you know, gather to be a part of a premier fan event celebrating all things Disney. So in our last episode, I talked about the two mixers that were held on Friday night. Uh, you know, and that included the, also the hotel room door decorating contest, although people also decorated their rooms. And Jeff Curdy's talk on Saturday morning about the Walt Disney Studios commercial animation division. So in this episode, I'm going to pick up with the next presentation, which is by Disney animation director, screenwriter, and producer Ron Clements. And hopefully I can read my handwriting from my notes. So this was Saturday morning, uh, still, well, Saturday afternoon. It was, I think, two o'clock. And it opened up with another video. And this one, Craig, you'll like this one because this is, it was starring Don Morin, who is the, the, the host and the person that coordinates and created the Pacific Northwest Mouse Meet. And he's, mm. he's funny. Well, it was all about him getting in line for Galaxy's Edge at Disneyland on January 1st, 2019. So, and all the things about him as people walk by, and these were real guests. As he's sitting there, people walk by and he's saying, I'm first in line. If, you, if you're thinking of getting in line, you got to get behind me. The queue starts behind me. <laughs> some of the guests ignored him. Some of the guests just sort of said, okay, go for it, and all that. And um, there, there's a funny scene where you know he, has, he brings out his supplies of food, and it's like, crap. 
and a bottle of water. He says, oh, this should be good. This should last me, you know, until May. And then it says 20 minutes later, everything's eaten and he's sound asleep. <laughs> so um, anyway, well, then he finds out, you know, and then they keep showing, you know, the clock, you know, running, the calendar running mm-hmm, as he's mm-hmm. still sitting in line and interacting with people and, and all this kind of stuff. And then on May 22nd, as he's gearing up and all that, suddenly he hears two guests who, who walk up to the doors and they say, oh, we got our reservations for, we're, we're going to be the first to go into Galaxy's Edge. And he goes, What? reservations what are you talking about and then they explain how you had to make reservations to go in and and of course (laughs) that's out of big no and anyway it was very well done that's fun yeah so so anyway so ron clemens so as probably most of you already know he was a co-director for little mermaid and aladdin hercules he worked on moana princess and the frog treasure planet and a whole lot more and he was with um disney for 45 years he just retired actually and he is writing a book about his uh, experience with Disney. Um, He was... And then what he did was he showed a a clip that they um, used to promote Moana. And it was really cute. It was very entertaining. Well, he started on with... um, Walt Disney Company on January in January 1994 and he was 20 years old so um, he he directed the great um, Mouse Detective with John Musker and they have worked together ever since so and I guess they just released today supposedly they're making a live action version of the great Mouse Detective yeah that's what I uh, saw in yeah. That kind of confuses me. Yeah, but I know. I uh, I just thought, okay, sooner or later they have to run out of these films, <laughs> you know, that they they're going to yeah. make into you know CG anime live yeah. action. It's so, it's it, like they say, you know, they're they're going to come full circle by then eventually doing uh, taking the live action versions and putting them back into animation traditional yeah. hand-drawn animation and see see what changes all in there so uh <laughs> get ready for our, our my kids will be watching those as they grow up yeah yeah so uh, anyway so he's from sioux city iowa and he when he was nine years old he saw pinocchio and he became obsessed he saw it several times he was always asking his mother can i go see pinocchio again can i see pinocchio again and he drew scenes from it and he decided that he wanted to work for the walt disney studios animation he got into making when he uh, super eight films so when he was 15 he got a job doing gra- graphics art for a television station after school and he did animated um local commercials for them with his super 8 camera and then he made his own color animated film with their camera equipment with with their permission um and it was shades of sherlock holmes and this is in the 1960s and he had a clip from it and he explained you know this was in 
the days when things moved more slowly, stories unfolded more slowly. He was sort of setting our expectations. It wasn't like today where, you know, it's sort of nonstop. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was, you know, when you think of how old he was, this was very impressive. And, um, and it, it was seen like, like, for instance, you know, it, it was, it, it opened slowly. Well, you know, it opened with Big Ben and we had to listen to it chime 12 times, you know, that, 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 that gives you an idea how slowly it, the, the story unfolded. Um, it, it was seen by a television. It, it, oh, they broadcast it, and it was seen by a television executive in Los Angeles who knew someone at Hanna Barbera, and and so Ron got a job with them, and then he took art classes at night. So, um, so after Walt died, the Walt Disney Studios thought they would phase out animation because the animators were getting older, and they had not hired any new blood and so but but the success of jungle book made them decide to bring in young animators and continue animation so after so the way it worked is so he was hired um and the way it worked is you know after four weeks under working under eric larson uh and we've talked about eric before and and when andreas dejo was on the show he talked about how you know eric larson was sort of the mentor you know, for the young animators, um, and and then um, then a board would decide after the four weeks, and they looked at your work if you had potential. Then, if they decided you did, you had another four weeks to work, and then you were judged again, and then you were either hired or you weren't. So he was hired as an in betweener for Winnie the Pooh and Tigger Two. And he worked under Frank Thomas after making a test drawing of Cruella DeVille. And he worked with Frank Thomas for two years. And Frank was 62 and Ron was 20 you know, this time. And then he um, worked, he, he, and he did some animation work on The Rescuers and Pete's Dragon. And then, uh, and this is also when Cal Arts started a character animation program. And this was when, uh, you know, folks like John Lasseter and Brad Bird were in this class so he started working with them yeah as good well. group of people yeah really so I, I mean yeah that that class is legendary and and um and, and then there were others you know pete doctor there were some that were like in the class behind them like pete doctor and um and, and all that so um anyway anyway but at this time, tensions were high at the studio. There were two factions. There was the Cal Arts faction, and then there was Don Bluth, you know, an American Tale and all that. Um, he was at the studio at that time, and there was his faction. And Don Bluth was not happy with um, sort of the constraints of Disney animation and these two factions did not get along so Don Bluth and his group left um, sort of right in the middle of Fox and the Hound so everybody had to step up in order to finish that film that's that's actually one of my favorite Disney films I I just think it's a sweet film oh yeah no it's uh it was one of my favorite growing up and and Mm -hmm. Kylie and I enjoy it together as well but it's hard to watch especially if you really, really love animals, so it's a it's a riveting yeah. ending on there, but a very, very underrated movie. I 
I agree. And I, I in fact, I named our first cat Todd no. after the fox. <laughs> so <laughs> now, at the now afterwards, Ron started to get into the story department, and he was very excited about the black cauldron because he was a fan of the books that it was based on he worked a year on it and he said it was a terrible experience but that's when he learned that he and john musker were in sync and then they worked together on the great mouse detective and then and we've talked about this on the disneyland show as well as this show uh, the whole when saul steinberg tried you know, attempted his hostile takeover of Disney in order to dismantle the company, and and then Roy Disney had returned with the Bass Brothers, and that was when Ron Miller was asked to resign. In fact, the anniversary of that is coming up, I think, this week, and and um, Michael Eisner was brought in, and you know, they say they saved the company and all that. Well. Eisner got interested in animation, but he wasn't sure if they were even going to keep it running. But he he felt he did feel that this was the heart of the studio. So he told the animators he, he had a meeting with them, and he said, "Everyone go out and get." And he had a meeting with the the story department. And he said, "Everyone go out and get five ideas for animated films and pitch their idea." And Ron said, "This is like the Gong Show." Because then you'd pitch your idea and literally you would get, they'd say, thumbs up or you'd get gonged and say no, you know, it wouldn't be accepted. So Ron began reading fairy tales and he came across the fairy tales of Little Mermaid. He's reading this and he's wondering, this is a great story. Why has no one ever done this before? And then he got to the end of the story. And are you familiar with how The Little Mermaid ends, Craig? I I believe I've heard the ending. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she dies. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody dies. It is a horrible, tragic, tragic ending because fairy tales were grim in those days. They were morality tales to... to basically keep children in line a lot of them and i mean the grim brothers stories were grim hans christian Andersen's stories had it sort of had sad twists to them little mermaid is really sad um anyway but he but ron came up with an idea to turn it around and to have a happy ending so he made his pitch when when they had this meeting and basically what happened was instead of pitching five story ideas mike eisner said Michael Eisner said, just pitch me your best one. I don't want to hear five from each of you. And so uh, so that, that made them all think. And then so he pitched, Ron pitched a Little Mermaid. He was gonged because they were already making a sequel to Splash. I'm sure you saw that great epic. Oh, I love I think Tom it, Hanks. I think it, it, was on, it, was on, it was on television now. <laughs> it was the sequel was on TV. <laughs> oh, so, I did. They actually made the sequel. They did. Oh, it I was. Didn't know I that. think it was one of the first things they filmed at the Disney MGM Studios. Oh, I hate that. And then, and then, oh, I'm sure it's out there somewhere. And then it was 
and then when Michael Eisner started, you know, when they made the return of the wonderful world of Disney or whatever it was on television and Michael Eisner hosted, this was one of the first, first things Yikes. that was on there. Yeah, it, it, it was different from the Tom Hanks version yeah anyway and oh and tom hanks was not in it by the oh way. i <laughs> if you would could, assume if you that from guess. a mile away yeah. yeah yeah anyway but a few days later jeffrey katzenberger said got in touch with them and said they liked his story and that they were going to make the little mermaid so Howard Ashman was brought on for the music, and he wrote most of the music in Burbank. And he said this was great because he would call them in as he wrote the music so they could hear it. And, and then they, they could work their stories and the animation and all that around it. So it was, it was really good camaraderie. And then there's the whole story that Katzenberg you know, wanted to cut part of your world. I mean, at, at Diz events, Jody Benson has talked about this. And um, and the reason was because they did an early screening of it. And they did it for a group of school children that they brought in. Well, the children started to squirm um, during it. Well, the problem is it, that scene was in, still in pencil tests and was in black and white. So it wasn't finished. So the Children sort of lost their interest. And so Katzenberg is watching this and says, okay, that has to come out because it's not holding their interest. Glenn Keane, animator Glenn Keane, convinced uh, Katzenberg to keep it the scene in for another test. So two months later, when it was in color and finished and all that they screened it this time they had a better audience it wasn't a bunch of squirmy school children who had just you know got off the bus um and that scene was a hit so it was kept in the film so um so after little mermaid they started work on aladdin and then they began beauty and the beast by this point alan uh, uh, um Howard, I should say, was very ill. So he wrote Prince Ali, and then Tim Rice was brought in um, to finish up the music for that. Um, the The film was written with um, Robin Williams in mind as the genie. They had no second choices. You know, with the other characters where they wrote for them, they always had a backup. No backups for the genie. Uh, and they hadn't even reached out to Robin Williams yet. So, um, but they were able to convince him to do it. Um, he improvised a lot. And they said the challenge was it was really hard to choose what to keep. And and then, then Ron showed a video of Robin Williams' outtakes. And it's scenes we know. And then there's half a dozen versions of it. Of Robin yeah. doing the same exact scene with different voices and different characters and different, and and I could see the challenge. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which one do you keep? Because they were all brilliant in different ways, you know. And but it was just hilarious to see it work. And and some couldn't be kept because they were sort of, uh, I don't know. I I don't want to use the term politically correct, but they 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 might not have floated well. But oh yeah. my gosh, they were so they were so funny. <laughs> so um, it was really good. Um, 
For Hercules, um, they went to Greece. And they said James Wood was another really great um, improviser. But they had wrote Hades for Jack Nicholson. But they couldn't come up with a deal with him. Yeah, and I don't think that that ultimately in the long run would have been uh wouldn't have been anywhere near as good so yeah jack nicholson is sometimes a little too creepy yeah well and i mean and the couple times where he does comedy it just it's it is kind of like that where it's like oh Mm -hmm. you can say funny stuff but it makes me still feel uncomfortable and and not because you're saying anything bad just because of the way you're saying it but yeah he's good in gangster roles and stuff mm, like that mm-hmm. yeah. yeah i mean he's still he's a brilliant actor but anyway um they wanted charlton heston to do the opening narration but you know there's a part where the narr- the script called for him to say you go girl he did not want to say that he wanted to say go ahead young lady so <laughs> wow so, yeah yeah well you know charlton has been very proper gentleman you know i mean he he was moses <laughs> he was yes. he survived the planet of the apes <laughs> two very true statements yeah. anyway he was in ben-hur um anyway they got him to say it once only once they co- they coerced him to say it, and that's what's in the film. <laughs> that is great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, then, then they had Treasure Planet, and then it was announced that hand drawn animation was going to be phased out. Um, they would do um, Brother Bear, Home on the Range, because those were still in the pipeline. Mm-hmm. And I loved Brother Bear. I I I just thought it was a great story, and I, I love the animation. I think you um, meant to say that you you love Home on the Range. Uh, I I remember watching it with my children when it came out, and even they thought, "What what is this?" I thought you, you were know? just going to stop it. I remember watching it with my children. That's all that needs to be said. <laughs> I remember. It. Uh, yeah, not not a stellar one. Yeah, and um. But then Disney bought Pixar, and in came John Lasseter and Ed Catmull, and they greenlit Princess and the Frog, which, of course, was hand-drawn animation. And they pitched it to Oprah Winfrey (laughs) to be in it. Uh, That Mm -hmm. didn't work out. So... um, Anyway, and then um, they brought on Joe Rohde to help with Moana because at the time he was working on the Alani Resort. So he was doing a whole lot of research in, um, you know, the sort of Polynesia and Hawaii, even though those are completely separate cultures and all that. They they brought him on to help with that research. And so they went on a trip to Fiji, Tonga and New Zealand for authenticity. And this is set in Oceania 2,000 years ago. So um, they set up the Oceanic Story Trust uh, who stayed with the film and they learned about navigation, um, you know, how how the story is alive. I mean, they they just wanted to be, they they wanted the film to swallow you in the culture. So uh, and um, and I think it did a really good job with that. 
It, it was interesting because yeah. just today, one of our listeners, um, Ian, who lives in the United Kingdom, he went to the British Museum and he sent, he posted on Facebook a photo of um, uh, the, the, the hook that, that's from Polynesia, and it is exactly like the one that was used, you know, the, the, uh, used in, um, that Maui uses mm-hmm. in, um, in, in Moana. Moana. Yeah, so it, that was really cool to see that. It was nice that he shared that. But but again, it, it showed how authentic um, yeah. they were. And then he talked about the music. Um, Lin-Manuel Miranda was, you know, people said, oh, you know, they, they wrote this song and all that because, you know, it's so derivative of Hamilton and all that. They hired him before Hamilton was written. He was in the process of writing it. And he told them... Yeah, okay, I'll work on the film. He said, but I'm, you know, I'm working on this other thing where Hamilton, it's a it's about the president Alexander Hamilton and you know, it's sort of set to hip hop and all that. And they said they just looked at each other and said, "Okay, good luck with that." <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so so all the people that said, "Oh, you know, because they, they you know, they have that one song that is sort of a sort of a hip hop kind of beat. Yeah, well, that was done. That was done before Hamilton. So anyway, and this was Ron and John, John Musker's first um, computer graphic film. So and then, and then, and then, and then, basically, they, they retired. John Musker's retired a year ago, and he is working on his own project right now, um, hand drawn. Um, project uh, and Ron is technically even though he just retired and uh, he's technically still at the studio but he is working on his book so unfortunately we're, we're probably not going to see any more out of the Disney studio from the two of them but I'm looking forward to um, uh, to their projects Absolutely. But, but you know again with Ron you know his heart is, is with um hand-drawn animation just as you know andre stasia's yeah, is and john yeah. musker's is and all that it was an interesting talk he's a funny guy so anyway so and then next up was joe Rody, and actually joe Rody had two talks there was one that was saturday afternoon that was on theming and what this theming really mean and then there was uh the next day there was a separately ticketed event back at the embassy suites uh the, on a smaller venue that was all about um building alani so uh and now it, so both of those talks are fascinated both interrelated to each other so but at, i'm i'm sort of going to go out of order because before that uh, before the Alani talk on Saturday, Joe Rody talked about himself and his career. So I thought that would be a good introduction to share that before I get into the talks. Yeah. So um, and and this was uh, the this this was interviewed. The interview was done by Don Moran, who, Moran, who you know runs Pacific Northwest Mouse Meat. So anyway, and now I'm reading from my notes in my notebook here. So. Anyway, so he st- so Joe Rody started uh, with um, Walt Disney Imagineering in 1980. Um, he was 25 years old, and he didn't know 
anything about Imagineering and about designing theme parks. Uh, he said he was lucky to survive three weeks there. He started in the model shop for um, uh, for the Epcot uh, Mexico Pavilion, and he sculpted the pyramid. And uh, and on the inside, the, the, the pyramid that's on the inside, and the, the the old limestone caves that were on the attraction, and it was his, and that, that was his introduction into research. And then they gave him little jobs. Uh, he found something he could do, uh, he, like painting, and so he asked if he could be involved in the color boards for the buildings, and he did most of the color boards for Future World, and that led to more jobs that he could do. So then he painted the models for um, the Disneyland um, Fantasyland remodel, and it was all blacklight painting that he did. And then the painting um, becomes... The, the painting becomes set design because that's all you can see. And then he built the full sets. And he said, though, that's bad. That's the bad side <laughs> to be on in a project because mm-hmm. when it's done, you're done. So he had studied um, he had studied illustrating under Herb Ryman when he was working on the Mexico Pavilion. So Tony Baxter had him draw concept art for what would be the Indiana Jones adventure. So a lot of that cool concept art we see that that's Joe Rohde. So anyway, and then Michael Eisner and Frank Wells took a liking to him. He was that guy with hair. Is how they referred to him because at the time Joe Rohde had he showed photos of himself at this age and he had like a, sort of a goatee kind of thing and it was it was it looked black and then he had this wild crazy hair sort of like Maui and Moana that black sort of curly hair down to the shoulders and all that so they took a liking to him and that opened uh, a whole lot of doors. So he learned a lot from Harper Goff, um, Colin Campbell, and others during this time because they were all still at Walt Disney Imagineering. So he also did a lot of personal travel, and that was eye-opening for him because nothing is what you think it'll be like. You know, you read about it, you see it in photos and all that, but when you get there, and I think that's true. I know that's certainly true for me. Uh, you know, when I went to Washington, D.C., yeah. it was everything was so much bigger than I ever realized. And New York, things are smaller than I expected. Times Square is really small. But yet, when, when you're watching it, you know, Dick Clark's Rockin' New Year's yeah. Eve, it looks, it looks enormous. massive, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Anyway, now when Animal Kingdom came along, they had to travel and research to make it look real. So they, you know, they had to have um, the proper flags in Asia. And he said in it, when they first went to Nepal, they said you can see and hear the wind in the valley because of all the prayer flags that are strung along there so when the wind starts at the end of the valley you start you see it as the prayer flags start to flutter and then 
you you can see the wind progress through the valley as the prayer as more and more the prayer flags flutter and he said that and that's why they're set up that way in animal kingdom going across the walkway to try to get that effect um and he said they wouldn't have known that they wouldn't have experienced that unless they had actually traveled to nepal so he said that's why traveling to a place is so important um yeah. The ear, the earring started in 1987. He said when he was working in Japan. And um he said you 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 um he was told um don't wear your Disney ID because you don't want to look like a Disney employee. So, uh, you know, and this is something he said in another talk about when he learned about negotiating you also he learned about when do you lead with disney when do you start bringing in the fact that you work for disney because that's all a part of the negotiations the timing of that is very important so what he did was he put his disney plus he looked like a madman with all his hair and all that so he didn't look like a disney employee so he put his disney five-year pin in his ear now it's a lapel pin so after two weeks his his earring um, hole got bigger and bigger. So then he, he hmm. put in two earrings in it. So he sort of looked like a pirate. And then one day when he was shaving, he could see daylight through his ear. <laughs> so, so he decided to make it a, a National Geographic ear. And so he would, ha- he would add an earring hoop of every place he traveled to. And, and then when he began traveling, you know, all the time for his research, uh, people began giving him earrings, you know, as gifts. And yeah. now he said he has a cereal bowl full of earrings <laughs> and that he, he changes out and all that. Like, he, like I've great. seen him where they are really long. And then, like, they were only, it was only medium long, you know, at the Pacific Northwest Mouse Meet. So, um, so, so that, was, uh, that, that was the introduction to uh, to oh. Joe Rody. So so Craig, should we get into the first talk or should we save that for next time? I think it would be perfect to save that for next time and have a nice Joe Rody packed episode. That's what I was thinking. I think it would be fun because we'll get into uh you know into his creating of Pandora, uh, his creating of Animal yeah. Kingdom. First of all, what is really theme? What I learned is what we call theme isn't theme and it was fascinating you know to hear about theming and um what it really is how and how he worked on animal kingdom why why was he assigned animal kingdom i think you're going to be surprised to hear why it was very unexpected when i heard it and then um and then how did he manage to get pandora involved in there so that it worked within the theme of Animal Kingdom. And then in the second talk, we're going to talk about Alani and how, um, again, he used his concept of theming to create a very, very unique resort that is all about Hawaiians. And uh, so I think you're going to enjoy the next installment of the Pacific Northwest Mass Meet. But 
until then, until our next next time, it's time for this week in Disney history with uh, with um, our going with our theme this week. Since we're since we're going to be talking about Joe Rody and theme parks and all that, I have to we have to keep up our, our summer of theme park you know trivia here. So, Craig, are you all ready for the week of August eleventh? Let's do it. Okay. All right. For August 11th, then, which future president of the United States visited Disneyland for his first time on August 11th, 1955? He would return to Disneyland in 1959. Okay. Would be president in 50... Not president in 55. Would be president. Visited 55. Um... I mean, there's only the the one who sticks out to me that that I believe uh, came back for a dedication would have been Nixon. You are absolutely correct. United States Vice President Richard Nixon and his family, which would be his wife Pat and his daughters Trisha and Julie, visited Disneyland for the very first time. Now, they had an entourage. Along with the Nixons were um, the brothers of Richard and Pat and their children. Uh, the Vice President was presented with the key to City Hall by C.V. Wood, who is a member of Walt's staff. We will have to do an episode on C.V. Wood. And and, and then he all, they also met actor Fess Parker, who of course was famous as Davy Crockett. Uh, the Nixons toured Disneyland extensively, and they rode, uh, you know, like the Mark Twain Riverboat, the Jungle Cruise, the Rocket to the Moon, Utopia, and they toured the Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea exhibit. Of course, the Vice President's family returned in nineteen fifty nine to dedicate the monorail. Okay, August twelfth. What historic event did Disneyland televise on the Tomorrowland stage on August 12th, 1969? And here's a hint. It was not my 12th birthday hmm. that they televised. Um, I'm, not, uh, I'm not sure what happened in August of 69 that they would broadcast. Yeah, well, the thing is, it didn't happen in August of 1969. They televised the historic Apollo 11 moon landing, which had occurred the month wow. before on the Tomorrowland stage. Well, that's strange. Yeah. Well, they didn't. I guess they didn't have the technology to simulcast it. So, um, they did that. Which is funny, because, you know, I saw that... And I was always confused because I was at Disneyland, and I thought because it, it's that's my birthday, and I was thinking, but I was at home when they landed on the moon. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm trying. I was thinking back in my little twelve year old brain, what? How, I, I'm confused. I'm not remembering things correctly. That's yeah, funny. Until I came across this and realized. Oh, okay, now it makes sense. <laughs> so, anyway. Okay, August 13th. Which two attractions closed at Walt Disney World on August 13th, 2017? 2017, that would have been the day that Great Movie Ride and uh, Ellen's Energy Adventure closed. 
That's right. The Universe of Energy featuring Ellen's energy adventure and the great movie ride both closed at the end of this day. Of course, a Mickey Mouse-themed attraction called Mickey Minnie's Runaway Railway will replace the great movie ride. And the Universe of Energy will be replaced with a Guardians of the Galaxy-themed attraction as we... As, as the beginning of the demise of future world yeah that's and, that's just my editorial yeah. <laughs> if i remember correctly i think i went to uh I, I know i went at some point in the morning to great movie ride on its final day i want to say that i went to universe mm-hmm. of energy just before that or I, I know i was there the night before it closed and i wrote it like three or four times to do a a video on it but uh, I just remember that it rained in the afternoon for a little while, and then I was going to go over and and do um, Universe of Energy, but I got another last-second fast pass to, to Great Movie Rides, so I decided mm-hmm. to not go over there. And if I would have went, I wouldn't have had another chance to ride Great Movie Ride, but I would have been a part of, uh, with my sister, a part of the last car that actually got evac'd off of universe of energy on the final ride so 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 do you do you regret your decision uh um yes and no so i regret it because that is like that is really awesome and it's definitely something to remember uh and also i've probably ridden you uh I've probably ridden Great Movie Ride enough times to uh, to been okay with it once it was finally closing. But uh, it, it was more, if I remember correctly, I think I got a late fast pass and Kylie hadn't done it for the last time. So I believe that it went over so she could have a last chance to, to experience it mm. as oh, well, that's too. that's sweet. But, I think I would have preferred going on the Great Movie Ride one last time. Yeah, it's, so. you know, it, I... I'm. I haven't regretted it yet. So, mm-hmm. good, good. Okay, August fourteenth. Walt Disney and Mouseketeer Karen Pendleton hosted the grand opening of a Disneyland attraction on August fourteenth, nineteen fifty-eight. What is the name of the attraction? I think of if you can imagine Karen Pendleton and what she looked like, that might help. It's not coming to me right now. Okay, this is one of your favorite Fantasyland attractions. Does that help? Oh, is it Alice? It is the Alice in Wonderland Dark Ride. Mouseketeer Karen Pendleton was dressed as Alice. Okay, August 15th. After nearly 13 years of entertaining Walt Disney World guests, which character gave his last performance at the Magic Kingdom on August 15th, 2006? Oh, I do not know. Okay. This is in Fantasyland, if that helps. It does not, no. Okay. Merlin performs his last Sword hmm. and Stone show in front of Cinderella's Golden Carousel. Merlin has been challenging young guests to pull the sword from the stone several times a day in Fantasyland since 1994. He was also featured in Walt Disney's Parade of Dreams. And of course, 
Longtime listeners to the show know Disney historian, author, and friend of the Diz, Jim Corcus, was a friend yeah. of Merlin's. Yeah. So I wish they would bring this back. This is just one of those little touches that was just so nice. And I mean, how expensive is it to pay Merlin? And of course, he had his magic tricks that I'm sure that we know cost some. But yeah. I don't know. This was just so charming and sweet and fun for the youngsters. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I wish you'd bring it back. And, you know, and, and they're, they're, they say, oh, you know, at Disneyland, it's because it blocked traffic. Well, with their little path widening project, you know, there's more room there now and all that. So I, I just wish they would do that. Yeah. Now, it's like, I know they, they do a version of the show on like super, super busy days at Magic Kingdom, but it they could stand to have something with it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Okay. August 16th. 14 Disneyland Tomorrowland boats are renamed Phantom Boats of Tomorrowland on August 16th, 1955. What other high-flying Disneyland attraction took off on this same day? Uh... Since you said high flying, say the Skyway? No, but it was in Fantasyland. I'm really blanking on what else is high flying around there. Disneyland's Dumbo Flying Elephants took flight Uh. in Fantasyland on the same day. Walt had originally hoped to have Dumbo ready on July 17th, but the fiberglass elephants only arrived about three weeks before opening day, so they weren't ready. And I think you stretched high flying there just a little bit. (laughs) I don't know. They go up pretty high if you push that little lever up for a button or whatever it is. I would have settled for medium, but I will not stand for high flying. It's all relative. <laughs> if if you're if you're two years old, it's high flying. <laughs> that is a point. Okay, August seventeenth. Who was named as president of Walt Disney World on August seventeenth, two thousand and six? Oh, um, that that was the awful lady. Um, <laughs> I know I had to put this in. Uh, um, Crofton. That's right. Meg Gilbert Crofton, a 27-year veteran, first joined the Walt Disney Company in 1977 as a marketing manager with Vista United Telecommunications, a company subsidiary that provided telecommunications services to Walt Disney World Resort. How did I get it in my head that she had been a cleaning lady? I, that's, <laughs> you know, may have heard it a couple times here and there. Yes. Good question, though. You know, I put this in. You know, I put this in just to ask that question. I she forgot is about the her. Fourth executive. <laughs> she is the fourth executive to lead Walt Disney World since it opened in 1971, and the first woman to hold that position. <laughs> so, and that's it for this week. This was fun. It was. It's. It. It, it was fun that, to share Ron Clement's story. Yeah. In this week's episode, because he's just, um, you know, brought so many, you know, just delighted us so much, you know, through generations with his work. Oh, absolutely. And uh, now, 
Now, speaking of all that, next week, we're, we're, the, the next installment of the Pacific Northwest Smiles to Meet is going to be delayed because we have... Uh, we have a couple special guests next week. Yes. And actually, one of them worked with, um, I think he worked with Ron Clements on a film because he started out as an animator. And um, this th- there's some tie-ins to a few different things, tie-ins to Walt's Imagineers next week, some of his original, an original Imagineer, um, tie-in to the Haunted Mansion because it's celebrating its anniversary. So I think you are really going to enjoy next week's episode. Yes. So I hope you will tune in for that. So and then and then there's a whole lot of other stuff going on. There's this expo thing, and then uh, and then we'll be back with the the third um, installment of the Pacific Northwest Mass Meet. Yes, I'm exhausted already. (laughs) So Craig, until next time, how can our listeners connect with you? You can find me on any of the random shows that I do, and then always on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at telecluster what about you michael well you can send me messages at michael at wdwinfo.com we've gotten some i shared one message with you craig but we've gotten a couple of others really nice um messages i've also gotten some on facebook and all that people and um just how much they appreciate the show and it, it was just so just so sweet. I mean, it really means a lot to us that that mm-hmm. you share those stories with us. And uh, like I said last week, I think that it's nice. It helps us to have names and faces as we sit at our microphones staring at monitors. It's nice that we, we know who's out there, you know, listening to us. Exactly. So thank you so much for sharing those stories. And it, it just means so much to us that we've... Um, touched your lives and that you have no idea how much you have touched our lives as well exactly so i i'm at twitter i'm at m bowling 121 facebook i'm michael bowling i'm getting a lot of 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 nice um friendship friend requests on my personal facebook page be sure to like the um michael bowling connecting with walt page because that's where all the disney stuff goes instagram i'm michael bowling the diz and you can connect with me and craig on twitter at Connecting Walt. And be sure to look for my Disneyland history segments on the Dis Unplugged podcast Disneyland show now that I have made my triumphant return. Um, if, if you would like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studios, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes, disunplugged.com. And Craig always has a link in our show notes for those as well to make it even easier and look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings and Craig didn't you tell me a while back we're on Spotify too yeah yeah no we we are on there so you can I I don't know if you can like uh, subscribe to us on there I would assume you absolutely can I don't know if you can leave feedback on there but do whatever you can with Spotify I have I have I have never gone on Spotify. I am going to have to check that out. See what's yeah, there. I use it for random music every time uh, I'm looking for something I can't find on Apple Music. Sometimes it's over on Spotify, but it's very That's basic. Good to know. Yeah. 
Oh, okay. That's good to know. I will check that out. Well, thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing. That it was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother Roy. Roy. 